Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Before the pandemic showed up, We were in a series that I was ministering called Soul Success. And I got to tell you, I was having a great time with this series. Another reason that I'm irritated at the pandemic is it totally interrupted my series. It really, it's not my series. Um, The reason that I really love doing a series is because there is absolutely no way to get subject matter out one time. Um, We we have such a jacked up, watered down, milky toast idea of the kingdom and of ministry that it really honestly makes it very hard and for some people nearly impossible to receive. The world tells us that you need to have about 12, 15 minutes of a message and that's what you need and then you're good to go and three points in a poem because that's what the average church does. The entire church service, 45, 55 minutes, in and out like cattle. And we get that from society and psychology. Instead of looking at our creator as the blueprint. Let me help you for the rest of your life. If there's something that you don't understand about life, about existence, about how things should be, just look at your creator and how He created it to be, and it will bring things into clarity. Jesus repeated Himself a lot. If you don't believe me, read the Bible. I know saying that in a church is like fingernails on a chalkboard. You want me to actually read it? Isn't that your job? No, it's not my job to read the Bible and interpret it for you. It's the opposite of my job. Jesus all the time said, And again I say unto you, and then he took them, and again he said, it was a normal thing. In fact, the sower sows the word parable in Mark chapter 4, Uh, Luke 8, Matthew 13, it's the same parable told three different times. That parable by itself for sure was told at least four times. So Jesus, in a three and a half year ministry, preached the same sermon at least four times. Another thing Jesus did, 
Jesus' meetings? Oh, mama. Here we go. Uh, Jesus' meetings lasted days. D-A-Y-S. I know some of you are like, he did not just say that. No, I said it. If you can't hear the word for an hour, then disciple is not something that you're okay with calling yourself. I didn't expect any amens. They're like, no, preach it, Pastor. Go three hours. Okay. Jesus regularly ran people off of his meetings because they were there for ulterior reasons. The entire John chapter 6 was Jesus getting a crowd that he eventually ran off. Like, very counterproductive Jesus. He does all these miracles. All these people are attracted to all these things that he's doing. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, all right, we got thousands of people now. Here's a track for you, and here's a track for you, and here's a track for you, and you guys go and track it up. Jesus does the opposite. He says, the only reason you guys are here is because you got your bellies filled. Leap. I know this isn't the Jesus that most of us think where he, you know, sits on a rock and pets a sheep and he's got blue eyes and blonde hair. But that's not the actual Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is if you're not going to come to him and be genuine and be sincere and be humble and be meek and allow him to do what needs to be done in your life, then why are you coming? Because you're not going to change him. And I can tell you this from personal experience. There's been a ton of people that have come to this church to try to change me and change the church. Think about it. All the time people, you know what you should do, Pastor? Please, I would love to know. I've been waiting all day for you to tell me what I should do. We, we think this is our job, is like to go around the world and change everybody, right? You get married so you can change your spouse. That person really needs me, because when I come into their life, I'm going to change them good. Uh, please repent. I'm going to be as gentle as I can, but that is demonic. That's what Satan does. Satan tries to change people. Satan possesses. Satan oppresses. God is a shepherd. You know what a shepherd does? A shepherd lives among his sheep, and his sheep are drawn to him because he protects them, he feeds them, he loves them, he guards them. It's the exact opposite of what a lot of people think that God's intentions are. God does not want to possess you. And if you're waiting for God to possess you, to turn you into what you're supposed to be, you're actually waiting for the wrong God, and the wrong God will give you what you want. The Father doesn't do that. It says that it's by His goodness that we're drawn into repentance. Romans 1, 17. 
It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God that compels us. If you're trying to do some Christian service by being at Beloved Church today, like we don't have a, a chart in the back that we put a gold star on for you being here. Sorry. I know. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't have a clue. I literally don't have a clue in this building who tithes and who don't. God knows. God knows where you're at. God knows where you're not at. God knows where you're at in your heart. And God knows where you're at in your body. Because not always where your body is is where your heart is. I'm fine. I'll go to church because my wife drugged me. Stay home. No, I'm, I'm for real. Don't come. If the only reason you're here is to please someone that's not God, stay home. If the only reason you give is to try to get something from God, keep it. Because you're going to really need it. The reason I give to God is because He has given me every single thing that I have. And I literally am looking for more and more opportunities to give away everything I get. Just yesterday, I asked the Lord for something very, very big times three so I could give it away. I don't care where I live. I don't care what I wear. I don't care what I drive. All this stuff is temporal. What I do care is to take all of the assets of my life and use them to prove to people how much God loves them. And God knows that the more assets He brings into my life, the more I'm going to do that. God doesn't care that you're rich, God cares. If you're covetous. He actually wants people who love people to be wealthy because more people are loved. So if you're struggling with prosperity, if you're struggling with wealth, it's because you're selfish. (laughs) It's super quiet in here already. I need to get like into my series, but this is important. Selfish people think that when money comes into their life, they're going to do bad stuff and, and get changed and be an evil person. And then, you know, and then God's going to have to come along and take all their money away and humble them. By the way, if God does something to you to humble you, that's not actually humble. That's humiliation. That's what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. If God has to do something to humble you, it's called humiliation. Read the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar literally had to go live like a gorilla. His hair grew out like feathers. He ran around naked for seven years out of his mind. If God has to do that to you to teach you something, you need to come to church more. Because <laughs> I'll make sure that don't have to happen. It's humiliation. That's not the way God wants to bring humility into your life. God don't care how much you have. He absolutely doesn't care how much you have. What He cares is how much what you have has you. 
if everything in my life, I possess it and I determine what happens with it and I know what I'm going to do with it, I'm going to build the kingdom, I'm going to love people, I'm going to change the world, God don't care how much is in my asset. Now, if one thing in my life comes into my life and has me, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to minister to this in a second. I can watch football. Probably not anymore because they've, they're basically in hell. The NFL went to hell. Let me use some another different example. Let me use the NFL. <laughs> now, it's, it's in my head. I can't like... Err. I can watch football. But football doesn't own me. I don't buy $200 jerseys. I don't skip church to go to a game. I don't like... I don't tell my wife to leave me alone on Sundays because it's football Sunday. I don't like... I don't cancel counseling with people because it's Monday night football time. I don't... If I can watch a game, I'll watch a game. If I can't, I'll go weeks without it. I'll ask someone else, hey, who run? That, dude, that was like two weeks ago. Yeah, I don't care. Hey, who, what's it matter in the length of eternity? You think they have the records of the Super Bowls in heaven? For real? And here's the amazing part. A lot of, a lot of people that I meet, they know baseball, they know football, they know all this stuff, they know racing. You know, if you knew the Bible, like you knew your team, you would change the world. And these are also the same people that tell me, well, I can't read the Bible, I understand it. You know what I don't understand? ERA. I don't know what an earned run average is. For real. I, I don't. People have explained it to me. I understand it. But I can tell you about propitiation. I can tell you about atonement. I can tell you how the finished work of the cross has radically changed eternity. It's just whatever you focus on. People can give me stats from their favorite quarterback from 20 years ago. And tell me that they can't read the Bible and they can't retain it and they can't remember it. You remember stats from 20 years ago about a football player. I remember stats from Jesus Christ from 2,000 years ago. Which one do you think is going to have more advantageous opportunities in our lives as we move forward? You can do You were actually created for this. If you can retain anything, then you can retain him. Whatever you're an expert at, and everybody is, everybody is really good at, at something. A lot of people think, like, I'm really good at this one thing, and that's the only thing. No, the, all that is is that because you're really good at that one thing, that just proves that you can be really good. That's God showing you that you can really be good. Now, put it in the right direction and use it for what God ordained for it to be. Amen? So this series that we started was called Soul Success. And I got a picture of a 1970 Camaro with the SS on the front. One day I might have one of those convertible 350. 
I don't know. I'm I'm actually on the on the fence with like the old car thing because I love the bells and whistles. I like the Bluetooth and talking without. So I don't know. I'm kind of like, can I have the old car and have all the guts new and and then choking and stuff like that? I'm just like, no. Oh, I want to just start it and let it figure everything out. So I don't know. I like the muscle, but I also like the new. SS used to mean super sport. But now I've redeemed it for the kingdom, and it means soul success. And this is the vehicle that you are going to get into, and it's going to take you to your destination. The destination is for your soul to perfectly mirror your spirit. So I need to start out with um, defining a few things. Specifically, identity. This is so important. This is one of the most important things in your life that you will ever, ever deal with is identity. Who are you? Who are you? Because your actions, your behaviors, your lifestyle, your thinking, the, the drives, the passions, like almost everything, Every single thing in your life is a derivative or an outflow of who you believe yourself to be. You believe that you're an addict, you will do addictive things. You'll put yourself in addictive environments, you will find addicted friends, and you will build your life around your identity. If you believe you're a sinner... You will do, think, behave in sinful ways because it's congruent with your belief system of who you think that you are in your identity. I think one of the most... I have to use my adjectives right because I get in trouble with my adjectives. But I have to be careful. I think one of the most abusive spiritual things that has ever taken place in the body of Christ is for a preacher to stand here and to say, you are a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. All y'all are sinners. And then tell you not to sin. It's like saying, you are a dog. I don't want you to bark. I don't want you to walk on all fours. I don't want you to pee on a fire hydrant. I don't want you to do anything dog, but you are a dog. And then we wonder why society comes along and says, I know that your birth certificate says you're a male, but we started that, beloved. Not we, beloved. We, the church. Because we've been telling people to live contrary to their identity their entire lives. You're a sinner, but you need to act like a saint, think like a saint, walk like a saint, talk like a saint. And we wonder why all the confusion is taking place in our world. You are not a sinner. You were. And God killed you on a cross, because that's where sinners die. And then He resurrected you, and you look just like Him on the inside. Identity. Identity. 
Most people think their identity is this, what you see. Just so you know, this actually has nothing to do with identity. This is just the coat that you're wearing. If it was 20 below and somebody walked in and they had a parka on, let's say Miss Judy walked in with a parka because she tends to be kind of cold-blooded a little bit. Uh, I'm not declaring that over her, but she tends to be a bundle-up kind of gal. And so let's say she walks in. I'm, I'm up here doing my thing, and somebody walks through the door, completely parka, ski mask, all the way, like no identifying characteristics whatsoever. And I'd say, you are a parka. And she says, no, pastor, it's Judy. I say, no, you are parka. I would break her heart to call her that. Do you know you do that all the time? Our society is doing that. You are white. You are black. You just called me what my coat is? Now, people do this. I get it. Like, you know, Nike people got to wear Nike. And Armani people wear Armani. And they literally believe that part of their identity. Look, I'm Armani. Well, I'm J.C. Penny. <laughs> Y'all are laughing. My daughter works there. <laughs> About 80% of the stuff that I wear is J.C. Penny. <laughs> but I'm not J.C. Penny. I wouldn't mind having his fortune. But... I'm not Jay-Z Benny. It's just what I wear. Are, are you following me? I'm not this haircut. I'm not this beard. These are just identifying characteristics for you to be drawn to or to recognize the one that you're actually trying to get to, which is somebody on the inside. Are you following me? My name, Steve. If we're in a crowd and I hear Steve, I'm going to turn. Not because Steve is my identity, but because Steve is that red flag that makes me like someone's calling me. But I'm not Steve, right? The inside part of me is not a name. It's not a parka. It's not something I see in the mirror. Some people get this. Like... Um, gals more often get this because some gals have been, um, they've been afflicted by people turning them into objects. And so they're hypersensitive to the fact that they do not want to be turned into an object. Stop looking at me that way. Stop looking at that part or stop doing that. Gals tend to be more sensitive to this stuff. Because they've been objectified. They've been characterized by something external. The reason that Kay and I are married is because I was the first guy in her life that didn't do that to her. All the other guys in her life wanted her for something besides her. Amen. And I, especially young people, I I just, I don't know how to communicate this well, where I tell young people, stop advertising things that you don't want people to buy. Stop. 
especially young girls, if you advertise that part of your body, if you flaunt that part of your body, what do you think guys are going to want? I know it's quiet in here, and I just got into, like, don't go there territory, but it's just for real. Stop it. If you don't want people to objectify you, don't give them objects. Now, this goes in a ton of different ways. Your outside person is not... Do Is wearing makeup okay? Yes. Is having a good haircut okay? Yes. Is wearing nice clothes okay? Yes. Is, is, is looking professional? Look at whatever. It, it, you carrying yourself in a certain manner. You, I will probably always for the rest of my life preach in a jacket. It's not because God likes a jacket more than a jacket. It's not because that's the way it works at Beloved Church. For me... This is just an expression of honor that I have for my father and for this pulpit. Not, not everybody gets the opportunity to speak into people's lives. That's very, very humbling to me. And I'm going to honor it. And I'm going to do it as professional as I can. I'm going to give it the proper gravity that I believe that it should. Not because I'm more anointed in a jacket or out of a jacket. I have led people... To the Lord in a sw- in swim trunks. I'm anointed when I'm at the house in my underwear. The anointing of God doesn't come on or go off me like a jacket. It's the person of Jesus Christ on the inside of me. Ask my wife. When we're in bed, I'm really anointed. <laughs> You don't, it's not something that comes on and goes off. That's Old Testament. And a lot of people think that like, well, now I'm, I'm looking right and I studied the Bible and I fasted for four days, so now I'm really anointed. Your fasting doesn't make you more or less anointed. Your clothes don't make you more or less anointed. The way you look. Now, the way all of those things might have to do with something, how you interact with someone. Okay, if I stood up here in my swim trunks... It would be hard on y'all. Because I'm so good. No. <laughs> It'd be hard on y'all because it would, it would be distracting. It would be just, And I know, I want to believe that I have that, that incredibly spiritual church where they can just be like, Oh, you can preach at anything and I can just receive from the Lord. Bull! <laughs> Bull! It's distracting. I am not going to try to do anything, say anything, operate in a way that's ever going to distract you away from truth. I want the truth into you. If I have to stand up here and preach in a potato sack and it gets truth into you, I'm okay with I don't care. I just want the truth into you. And so whatever is the least distracting that I could possibly be to get truth into you, just so you know, like this is one of the reasons that we have an orderly church. Order is from God. The reason is because people are going to know what to expect. They're going to be able to open their hearts up. They're, they're not going to be thrown off. They're not always going to be looking for the next blow that comes out of the... You're, you're not going to be... You're going to be settled. You're going to be at peace. And in that place, God has a lot of opportunity. 
We're not organized so we can be organized religion and start a denomination and, and corral everybody together and make everybody have the same haircut and the same shirt. That's not the point. The point is so you can come and you can let your guard down and you can be at peace and you can let the Lord do because you know things are going to be a certain way. And it gives you an opportunity to let down your guard. And in that moment, it's called humility. In that moment, God is able to do more in a second than you've done in a hundred years. So that's why we do that. Does that mean that we're always so rigid that things can't happen? No, just today. The Holy Spirit obviously did what He wanted to do, and, and we didn't do songs, and stuff happened, and people said words, and, and things. That's awesome. It's His church. It's not my church. He can do whatever He wants. This is what carries you. This is the vehicle. Maybe you have a Ford, maybe you have a Chevy. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. I know a bunch of people are like, well, hold on a minute, I'm a Ford guy. Okay, God bless you. Stop it. It doesn't matter. I, I mean, it matters a little bit. <laughs> okay, let me say this. If you're a Dodge person, we'll just pray for you because Dodges are a mess. But... If you're a Ford person, it just doesn't matter. Listen, the reality, it's just a vehicle. This is just a vehicle. Should you paint it? Yes, gals. Amen. But let me try it again. Should you paint your vehicle, gals? Man, what is wrong with you ladies? That was a great opportunity. Should you wear makeup and get pedicures and manicures? Okay. Now we're catching on. So should you paint it? Yeah. Guys are like, ah, man, the rustier the better. No, no, you can... (laughs) You get some Bondo. (laughs) Call me. I'll help you. Because some of y'all need some Bondo and some paint. It's, It's okay. But it's just a vehicle. This is just a vehicle. It carries the real. If my truck pulled up and you said, oh, look at Steve, I would be hurt. But if you said, hey, look at Steve's truck, are you following me? So when your vehicle shows up, I understand them and say, hey, Paul, great to see you, buddy. But it's not really, this ain't Paul. This is Paul's vehicle. We need to get this right because here's the thing. You spend eight hours making sure this thing is rested. You spend two to three hours a day making sure it's fed. You spend another 30 minutes, depending on whether you're a male or female, in the bathroom doing other things. You trim it. You do haircuts. You pull hair out of places that it shouldn't be. You believe God for hair in places that it ain't. You look in the mirror and you pick and you push and you squeeze. And you pray, depending on how naked you are when you stand there. Hour after hour after hour about this. And the real you is the Spirit. In 19... Nope. In 2010, 
In 2010, 29% of America went to church once a month. 2010. At the beginning of 2020, before they shut down the church, at the beginning of 2020, 23%. In 10 years... We lost about 8% of America going to church. Last Sunday, y'all ready for this? Last Sunday, less than 3% of America was in church. Now, I know I'm talking to you. I get that. But what I want you to understand is that we spend a lot on this. Time, effort, and energy. If you just spent a fraction of that on the realness, I I can't even tell you what the advantageous changes will be for your eternity. If you spent as much time on your heart as you spend with your hair. I know the guys are thinking, well, these gals, they're going to be way more spiritual. No, guys, we spend a lot of time with our hair. We're picking stuff out of holes and places that it shouldn't be, and we're grooming stuff. And if you have a lot of chest hair, you want to get rid of it. If you don't have any, you're praying for it. Like, we do hair, too. Like, if we just spend as much time with our heart as we do with our hair, you realize what that would do to your heart? If you just spent as much time feeding your inner man as you fed your outer man. These are just... I'm not even talking about, like, going into the stratosphere like being super saint, super spiritual. I'm talking just... Spend as much time on the in guy as you do on the out guy. Your identity is not this. Now let me take you a step deeper. Your identity is not your soul. Now I just kicked Sigmund Freud in the head. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, psychology is one of the reasons that we're as jacked up in our society as we are. Psychology is the college, the study of the psyche. And instead of studying the psyche, psychology has turned into manipulating the psyche. And they do it with drugs, and they do it with words, and they do it with ideas, and they do it with devastating tactics like can you please go back into your head when you were five and tell me what happened to you when you were five and here's a doll where did they touch you like that's going to help you to relive and remember all of that that's literally torture it's literally torture and we give them $350 an hour to do it I'll tell you what, for half price, for $175 an hour, you can come to my house and I will never ask you about what happened when you were five. And you'll be 10 billion times healthier. 
I'll even do it for free. You are not your soul. Your soul's job is to be the reflection of your spirit. That's your soul's job. Your soul's job is to literally transverse two realms. The spirit realm and the natural realm, your soul's job is to transverse those two realms. And to give you physical manifestations of spiritual realities. That is your soul's job. Your soul's job is literally a doorway. That is your soul's job, is to be a doorway. The problem is, is that we're dooring into like the past or bad experiences or old memories or whatever. And so we take ourselves from a bad realm and then we doorway ourselves into another bad realm. And so then people have all of these soul problems, psyche, that's the word, psyche. We have all these psyche problems. And so we think what we're going to do is we just go get into the psyche and start meddling around with our psyche and that's going to fix all of our psyche problem. No, the problem is, is that your psyche was created to reflect your spirit, which is your real identity. Your real identity is your spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. Your body is not your identity. It's your vehicle. Your soul is not your identity. It's the reflection. Your spirit is your identity. Do you know where the word personality comes from? It's Latin, persona, and ality. Persona means mask. Most people don't know this stuff. Use this stuff all the time. Mask that you wear over... It literally means to like hide. To obscure so people can't see. Mask. And then ality is living in. So, uh, like if you are in homosexuality, it's because you're living in... Homosexuality. Following me? Reality is you are recreating ality. <laughs> You're taking a new ality, a new, a redoing the life and world, and you're living in what you're redoing. And you call that your reality. Personality. It means living from. A mask. Personality. And how many people have hidden behind, well, that's just my personality. I'm just a direct person. Sorry I offended you. That's your fault. Because I'm just a direct person. It's my personality. It's the way God made me. How many marriages are like this? Well, honey, this is just the way that I am. This is just my personality. I guess you're just going to have to deal with it. Really? Yep, this is how God made me. God made me to kick the dog every day. God made that, huh? Yep, God made that. Well, God made me kind of gruff and and rude. I'm a type A personality. That's the way God made me. God made me a type A personality. I took the test and it proved it. God made that. Yep, God made me type A. 
Um, A, God didn't make your soul to manifest what it manifested up until especially the time that you got born again. That was the other God. <laughs> from, from day zero to day that you got born again, you were completely trained by your old father. And he made you a mess. You were so selfish that your mama, after 27 hours of labor, getting your rusty butt out of her, finally falls asleep 30 minutes after you come out. And what are you going to do? You're going to scream until she feeds you. You selfish thing. And then you scream because you pooped your diaper. Nobody else had anything to do with it, but you're going to scream about it. And then if you don't get a tricycle when you're four, and you better get some bubble gum at the gas station, And your spouse better do exactly what you want them to do. Or you'll show them. That's not what God made. And then you come along and you get born again. And you see this man. This completely selfless Loving, gracious, merciful, powerful man who is unlike any other man. And you find out that he died for you so you could have a new life, specifically his life. And then you're born again. But your soul still reflects what you believe your soul looks like. And because you believe your soul looks like what you created for those 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years, you're still reflecting that nature. It's like literally walking into... Uh, uh, I can say this because I'm in Yankee land. So here in Yankee land, we understand carnivals. You walk into a carny bull, and <laughs> there's a fun house at the carnival. And in the fun house, you walk into this one room and it's got the mirror that makes you look fat and it's got the mirror that makes you look thin and it's got the mirror that makes you look like you're bent over and it's got the, another mirror and the mirror, it's a, it's a house of mirrors. And this mirror does this. How does that mirror make your reflection wrong? Because that mirror is warped. It's bent, it's concave, it's convex. That's what the enemy is doing. He's warping the image through your soul of your spirit. And if you believe that image, if I walked into a fun house and that had, it had the perfect mirror that made it look like I was like 300 pounds overweight, I could become a bulimic to try to fix that image. And I could literally starve myself to death. And I would never fix that image because the image was manipulated. I hope you caught that. 
So when, you, when people walk up to you and they say, well, this is what your personality is like and this is who you are. And when the devil says, by the way, here's what you really are. You really are a sinner. Warped image. And the Spirit of Christ says, no, you're grace. No, but I don't feel like grace. Oh, it's your feelings. Now we're going to let them be God. Your feelings are not God. God is God. Your identity is your spirit, and it is God. Your actual identity is God. Second Peter chapter 1 says that you have been given the divine nature. Divine nature. That means the nature of the divine. Your actual nature is divine. That's why you get that gut-wrenching thing when you do something really stupid. Because it's actually contrary to your nature. And your nature says, no, not that. Don't do that again. Shut up. I like it. No, you really don't. And we force ourselves to do this stuff. Anybody? I'm going to prove it real quick. Anybody ever? Don't raise your hand. I'll do it. Anybody ever smoked before? Yep. Do you remember your first cigarette? Yep. I threw up. <laughs> and the people that are laughing and smiling, and I did too. I threw up. I'll never forget. I stood at the the trailer court and ride out that does exist. <laughs> they act like it doesn't exist because it's a ghost town. It's really weird right now. I remember being in the trailer court in Radot and smoking a cigarette with a guy named Dave and throwing up. And him laughing at me, making fun of me, because I couldn't figure out how to smoke the whole cigarette. So you know what I was determined to do? Any guys in the room? I'll show you. You, I literally pushed through the internal rejection. That my body said, that's bad and wrong, don't do that. And I said, I will. Are you following me? Like we do this with our soul. And then we wonder why our soul has a warped image. Beloved. Third John verse 2. Beloved, above all things, I desire that you operate in prosperity and health even as your soul if you reflect this you're going to have fruit of it if you reflect that nature from your spirit you will have the fruit of it this is God's desire for you is for you to have abundant life. Isn't that what Jesus came to give us? Most people will take John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that people might eventually get to heaven. Anybody? Is, is that the verse? Did I misquote it? Because that's how most people read it. Well, Jesus came to give me abundant life. Somewhere in the sweet by and by. When I die, I can only imagine. Okay, let me help you. Imagine it and live it today. 
That's what Jesus came to give you. The abundant life. And he wants that to affect every area of your life. Your, your marriage should be abundant. Your relationship with your children should be abundant. Your health should be abundant. Abundant. Where you don't need pills and doctors and shots and stupid stuff and enhancements and reductions and all the stuff that they're trying to sell you. You can just take abundant life and let that life flow from you. God wants this to happen in your finances. He wants it to happen in every aspect of your life because it's divine. How many jacked up marriages are in heaven? None. How many marriages are in heaven? None. If nothing else, if you've got a terrible spouse, eventually one day you'll be in heaven you won't even be married. Like God will divorce you. <laughs> but the, the, what I'm saying is, if it's not real there, then it's not God's desire here. He rules in the kingdom of heaven. He does not rule over the kingdom of this earth. And I know that I just jacked with a bunch of people's theology. But if God is ruling over the kingdom of this earth, then God's doing a terrible job. Because there's a ton of murders and rapes and and child trafficking and, and all the terrible stuff. And if God's ruling over that, He's either A, a bad ruler... Or B, he's evil. He's not. He, his perfect will is done in heaven. And then he tells us and shows us what his perfect will is. And then he sends us to this earth and he says, now, do my will. And then we either say, okay, I'm going to go rescue children out of child trafficking. Or we say, oh, it's terrible about that child trafficking stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's terrible. Um, so can I have another bag of chips? Right. It's terrible that they're shutting down the churches. I know, Pastor. Super terrible. Hey, let's open up our church. Well, I mean, not me, Romans 13. Fine, I'll sue the governor. Amen. Are you following me like... it? It's one thing to say what you believe. It's one thing to tell everybody and to try to throw everybody off the scent. It's a whole other thing to say, let's go get them. I know people are dying and going to hell. I'm going to stop it. Well, you can't stop everybody. Well, I can save this one, and I can save this one, and I can save this one. I know people are sick, and they got cancers, and they got all this stuff, and it's terrible. Fine, I'm going to go lay hands on the sick. Well, what if everybody doesn't get healed? What if one does? What if I just get one? What if I have to lay hands on a million people over the rest of my life and only one of them gets healed? What do you think that one's going to think? But here's the reality. When I first started laying hands on the sick... It was like one out of a hundred that got healed. Now, 20-some years later, laying hands on the sick, it's like 80 out of a hundred. I don't know what it's going to be in 20 years, but look out, devil. Just start there. 
This is what your soul is supposed to do. It's supposed to reflect heaven, and then you live from that. Let them, Psalms 35. Psalms 35. Let them rejoice and be glad. See, this is how long it's been. This is how long it's been since I've been in this series. I had everybody trained real good. Like Pavlov's dogs. And then everybody lost it. Got the, got the COVID-15. Let them shout for joy and be glad. That's good. That favor my righteous cause. What is God's righteous cause? Why did God make you righteous? What is the cause that is righteous to God? That you say continually. Does anybody know what continually means? In the Hebrew? Can Let them say, you, not God. Let you say, let them say continually, I want God to be magnified in my prosperity. Yes. I don't know, you say the word prosperity in church and everybody's just like, Ugh. You can't be in a prosperity church. I know. Don't go to heaven. It's really prosperous there. And the lowest form of prosperity is money. So if you immediately tied prosperity and money together, you're the carnal one. Don't blame me for your carnality. Because I know what prosperity is. And only like the last degree of prosperity is money. I know what a prosperous marriage is and an unprosperous marriage is. One of them is better than the other. I can promise you. It's not just money. God wants to be magnified in things... You, okay, let me do it this way. You know what a terrible, a terrible testimony would be? Is for someone to stand up here. Let's say Pastor Ryan came up here and say, just want to testify about the Lord Jesus. Amen. He needs a hanky. Lord broke my leg this week. Killed my wife. My truck blew up. And on top of it, I just found out that I got cancer on my something. (laughs) The Lord be praised. Let us magnify Him together. You'd be like... You need to sit down. That was the worst terrible testimony. But people do this all the time. Well, I got cancer, and I got closer to God through my cancer. Praise the Lord. You you didn't have to get cancer to get closer to the Lord. I mean, I'm sorry that you're stupid. Like, you can actually just get close to the Lord. You, you, You don't have to do it that way. Okay, I was a mechanic... I kind of am still. <laughs> That's dangerous. A kind of mechanic. Um, I learned on a, tr- a brand new Ford Triton back in the, when was that, 90-something? Oh, Hannah, 99. 99 or 2000, right around the time Hannah was born. Like 2000. I learned in 2000 on a brand new Triton engine. That if you don't put oil back in, after you take oil out, 
they only go about a mile. <laughs> even the gals are like, like even I know that, Pastor. Okay, it was a busy day at the shop. And I didn't hang the little no oil sign on the thing and jumped in it and started and... Yep. I learned by blowing up a $10,000 engine to always check if the oil got put back in. You know, I could have just learned that the way you're supposed to learn it, which is just check the oil every time before you pull the car out of the shop. I didn't have to blow up a Triton engine. They called me the Triton Slayer for years. It sounded good to all my friends until you heard the story. They're like, no, he slew a Triton. Not a lot of people can pull that off, but he's a special kind of stupid. He slew a Triton. It was okay. I'm over it now. I'm not hurt at all. I'm a little hurt. I'll get over it. That's not a good way to learn, beloved. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it's the Word of God. It's the purpose of the Word of God to teach you, to train you, and to correct you. You shouldn't have to learn to put oil in a triton by blowing it up. If the only way you're going to learn how to do life is by blowing up your life, you have made a fatal error in discipleship. That's a really good place for an amen. Don't learn that way. Let God, who knows how to do life, disciple you. You don't have to do all the broken stuff. Let the Lord be magnified that has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. This is something that's supposed to be on our lips continuously. A way better testimony is for Pastor Ryan to come up here and say, Beloved, we, the doctor said that we're going to have cancer. And then I went back to the doctor after they laid hands on me last Sunday. And the doctor said, there's no traces of any cancer whatsoever in our body. And I have this x-ray that says that there was 14 tumors. And now I have this x-ray that has no tumors. Is that a good testimony? That's a good testimony. That is something that is going to give God magnification. That's what should be on our lips. And if it's not on our lips, then we are not allowing the Lord to be magnified in our life. So I, I taught you about what the real identity of your life is. It is in your spirit. Stop allowing your soul to be the thing that drags you around by the ring in your nose. Stop allowing your emotions to lead you. Stop allowing your feelings to lead you. Thank God Jesus didn't, because in the Garden of Gethsemane, He put His soul under His feet. And He said, not my will, but thine be done. If Jesus had to do it, and He had a perfect soul, don't you think that we have to do it with our imperfect souls? Until you see the, the image of your true identity, Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ, you don't have anything to reflect. 
and why you let the world tell you that you're a sinner and you're a loser and you're ignorant and you're stupid and you're ugly and you're all these things. If you believe any of those things, it's going to warp your mirror and you're going to reflect the wrong thing. So you need to look into the mirror. James says that God's Word is a mirror. You're supposed to look into the mirror of God's Word and let God straighten out your mirror. And then you have a perfect reflection and it looks just like Jesus. Anything that doesn't look like that, it's not your identity. It's your past. It's something that somebody else tried to create. You do know that people try to manipulate you, right? Does anybody know that? Did did I just shock anybody? There are people on this earth, their job is to manipulate you, to warp you, to mess with you, to jack you, to get your money, to get your body, to get your whatever. That's their job. Your job is to reflect your Savior. Identity. Do not give that up, beloved. First Corinthians 15 something says that Adam was a uh, was a soul that was created to receive life, but Jesus, the second Adam, was a spirit that gives life. So the soul part of you is supposed to receive life. The spirit part of you is supposed to give life. Your soul is literally looking for your spirit to give it life. And if you're, if you're not allowing your spirit to release life into your soul, guess what? It's going to go somewhere else and get it. And that's where people get life from sex, get life from drugs, rock and roll, all this other stuff. They get life from Green Bay Packers, from whatever the thing is. And people get it from anywhere. Pets, I've literally seen people revolve their lives around pets. It's the exact opposite. God created us. Over Anyway. Whatever you are getting life from, if it isn't get coming from your spirit, then you are doing damage to your soul and you are warping it. And it's time for us to put that sucker back straight and to let it reflect what it's supposed to which is God Himself. God Himself. I'm going to have to do this in part two because I'm already way past, and I'm sorry. So I apologize for that. I'll do the part two on this next week. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. 
I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon.